to the future. Are you telling me that this sucker is nuclear? Precisely. Michael J. Fox. Whoa, heavy. Christopher Lloyd. There's that word again, heavy. Why are things so heavy in the future? Is there a problem with the Earth's gravitational pull? Back to the future. Man, I thought Marty McFly was so cool. Starts off a little bit rough, but man, uh, that truck, love that. Now, that is really a good trailer. I mean, 80s movies trailers, if you've seen uh, some of the ones that we've shown in the previous weeks, have been uh, horrific. Uh, we, we have saved the best for last, though. You'll see that one next week, and that trailer is amazing. Uh, Back to the Future, it's, it's fun, it's a great trilogy, uh, but it almost didn't happen. In fact, the script was rejected over 40 times, and I'll let you guess what uh, theme or scene caused that to happen. Uh, you might, might, anyway, all right, we'll move on from that. The guy who started out, I mean, there are all kinds of crazy things that happen with this movie. The guy who started out as the actor for Marty McFly, he had to be fired. And then Michael J. Fox, who they wanted to begin with anyway, he finally was able to uh, come over and shoot the movie. But he had to shoot all of his scenes at night because he was doing uh, another show at the time called family ties. That's right. And they would not let him shoot during the day. So kind of a crazy setup for getting this movie uh, to happen. And, uh, and we get this beautiful one sentence description in case you haven't seen this before. Have any, how many of you have seen Back to the Future? Are we? Okay. All right. All right. Marty McFly, a 17-year-old high school student, is accidentally sent 30 years into the past in a time-traveling DeLorean invented by his close friend, the maverick scientist, Doc Brown. Great Scott. I mean, just there you go. It, it's, it's great. Uh, I was jealous of Marty's truck at the end as a kid. I thought that was amazing. And I also was jealous of the DeLorean. I just thought that was a cool-looking car, had the gold-wing doors and stuff. And then I got older and found out like how terrible of a car that actually uh, really was. I guess, though, uh, having the DeLorean as the time machine was better than having a refrigerator that was the time machine. This was one of the original ideas that it was the time machine was going to be a refrigerator, and the way it was powered uh, was by a nuclear blast. And nobody would ever use an idea like that for a movie at all. Uh, all right, Crystal Skull. Don't see it if you haven't seen it. It's terrible. The movie uh, it continues. It has a great widespread uh, reputation. I mean, people keep watching the movie, and it's never going to get ruined by the whole remake thing because the director and the writer said as long as they're alive, nobody's going to touch it, which, which is great. Don't let George Lucas anywhere near it. Uh, Marty McFly, or Michael J. Fox, actually. I called him Marty McFly. He still gets, to this day, people who yell out McFly to him. But he said in a cast uh, reunion, he said one of the most remarkable instances was when he was in a remote jungle in Bhutan, which is located between China and India, and a group of Buddhist monks passed him, and one of them looked at Fox and said, Marty McFly! So it's, it's a global phenomenon. Uh, when Thomas F. Wilson, everybody has their middle initial uh, that's an actor in the movie, I guess. He played, he played Biff. Uh, when people come up to him and ask about the movie, he has this postcard that, that he gives them, like that answers all of their frequently asked questions. So he has to carry this around still. He said, like, I'll just read the first couple of sentences. I'm Tom Wilson. I was in all three Back to the Future movies. Michael J. Fox is nice. I'm not in close contact with him. Christopher Lloyd is nice. He is a very shy man. I mean, he just kind of goes through all these things that he gets asked constantly over and over again. 
The inspiration for the film came from the writer Bob Gale, who, as a kid, he found his parents, or specifically his dad's yearbook, and he was flipping through, he saw a picture of his dad, and he wondered to himself, if I knew my dad then, when he was in high school, would we, like, would we be friends? Would we hang out? Would we like each other? And he thought, man, if I had a time machine, I would actually go back and see if I would actually like my dad and that we would hang out. And I think one of the reasons this trilogy has done so well is that you know, time travel has this kind of universal appeal where you may not wonder about whether or not you would have been friends with your dad, but there's probably something in your life that you would like to either go back and re-experience or maybe go back and, and try to change some kind of experience or maybe you'd want to go forward in the future uh, to see how things are going to turn out, which just sounds like a bad idea to me, uh, but you might want to go back and change something to one degree or another. For example, I think Ralph Macchio if he could go back, he would change some things because he was offered the role at one point to be Marty McFly. But he turned it down because, and I quote, he thought the movie was just about a kid, a car, and plutonium pills, uh, which is weird. Uh, but can you imagine Ralph Macchio being Marty McFly? I mean, can you, can you see it? It would have been awful. It would have been absolutely terrible. Or uh, what if Christopher Lloyd didn't play Doc Brown? There were some other actors that were considered for it. John Lithgow was considered uh, to play Doc Brown. That would have been crazy. Uh, let me blow your mind for a second. Jeff Goldblum uh, was considered to play Doc Brown. Can you imagine, like, if he could go back and we would have <laughs> Doc Goldblum, uh, that, would be, <laughs> that would be awful, too. So for kicks and giggles, let's just kind of imagine uh, together that time tra travel is possible. Right, there's, some, there's a machine, there's a DeLorean somewhere that you could get to and travel back in time. And let's, let's kind of put aside all the uh, continual, uh, continuation problems that time travel presents, you know, if you're, you're a geek like me and you kind of think about those kinds of things. Um, here's the very important question that I would want to make sure I ask myself, or if I knew you were going to go do this, that I would ask you before you traveled and did your thing. This is what I would say. If you could change your past or choose your future, why do you think you wouldn't totally mess it up? What makes you think that if you could travel back in the past and you know, change something or re-experience something, what would make you think that you wouldn't totally mess that up? The fantasy of somehow knowing that you and I, if we could travel time travel would know the exact right decision at the exact right time to make the exact right change. It's just that. It's a fantasy. And here's why. The majority of time that you and I deal with something significant that we want to change, in particularly, like when we talk about this, we talk, we're thinking about problems. That if we could change something in the past, more often than not, we're looking to get rid of the symptom and not the actual problem. It's not until Marty goes back in time that he realizes much of his family's issues are due to his father's character. And who knows, you know, how that stems, where, where that came from. It was his father and his father his father. How far would he have to go back if he specifically went back to correct those issues? It's only through dumb luck that the future is changed. So many times, you know, I, I don't know who the first person to say hindsight is twenty twenty, but let's be honest, it's much closer to 50-50. We don't actually know if we would have made the right decision, even if we could go back and change it. 
Um, some years ago, there was the head of the industrial uh, engineering department of Yale University who said, if I had only one hour to solve a problem, I would spend up to two-thirds of that hour in attempting to define what the problem is. And it's so huge because that's such a different perspective than kind of the, I would just go back and change something immediately if I could type of mentality that we normally have when we think about those things. I wish I could just go back and make a difference. Anyone who's ever done a home improvement project can relate to how this whole, like, what's the symptom versus what the problem is. If you've ever tried to do any kind of home improvement project, you know that the thing that you're trying to accomplish is never going to be just that thing. There's always something worse just behind that. We uh, finally had our sliding glass door replaced recently uh, in our house. We'd been kind of sealing it up with duct tape, you know, so it was one of those things that was about to fall out. Uh, and we finally had that done. And so as, as our uh, contractor was pulling, uh, pulling that door out and I was helping him do that, we just looked. And if you can imagine how poorly sealed that door must have been and all the water damage that we found. And that's kind of the running theme in this house that we bought. Um, it's just water damage, just pretty much everywhere there's going to be water damage, I think. And so, uh, like, just putting in the door, it wasn't just putting in the door. There was a major problem there. And so part of me thinks, like, I would love to go back in time and I would love to chew out whoever built out the house and what they were doing, what you were thinking, you know, all those kinds of things that you do when you're, you're just trying to change one thing and you realize you got to do five other things in order to finally get to that one project you started out with. But, you know, on the flip side, if I just went and did that and I actually, like, and somehow influenced the people who own this house to actually take care of it and keep it up with it, Renee and I would have never been able to afford it. You know, so you think about, like, the consequences of your actions. and how you, Is that really what you want to do? Is that really the thing that you want to accomplish? I can always trace back the problems I have in my life to me. It's not always somebody else's fault. Most of the time, it's, it's our fault. We've, we've done something stupid, and it wasn't just one bad moment or decision that we need to change in the past or prep for in the future. It's a series of choices that unless we're really honest with ourselves and evaluate our life and define the problem behind the symptom, we're likely to continue to face the same consequence from the same decisions over and over in our life, even if we could go back in the past or go to the future. And I get it, sometimes there's a crisis that we'd want to go back and change, something that's totally out of our control. And I'd love to be able to help change those things too. Marty wanted to save Doc for the tra from the tragedy that happens in the film early on. And he ends up doing that. And it would be great to avoid tragedy, but unfortunately we can't travel back to the past or the future. But there is a place in which we can deal with both and change both, and prepare for both. And that's now. That's the present. How we handle our past, our past and prepare for our future is determined by who we're following in the present. Because most of the time, we trace things back and we look at the things we want to change. We you know, take a, an honest evaluation of the people who are around us or the person that we're following and a lot of times, it's, it's, we're in the driver's seat. <laughs> we're the ones that cause the issues that we'd love to go back and change. And you consider those types of things. When that happened, who was in the driver's seat? What kind of worldview were those decisions based on? I can always trace those problematic situations back to me doing what I wanted to do in the moment. 
But you know the things that I don't regret and never have in my life? I've never regretted decisions that I've made that have been based on what God has defined as his best for my life. I have regretted times that I've made decisions based on what I wanted God to want for me. That's an important distinction to note. For, for example, like what if the thing for you right now is maybe things are tough for you financially? And, and maybe the thing that, that has been kind of on your mind or thing is constantly money and, and, and you know, your job or things that are going to happen. And maybe, like, one of your things that, man, if I could just, like, have a sports almanac from the future and, and become independently wealthy, that would change things for me and all that would be taken care of. But what, like, what if that's the one thing you're consumed with wanting to be independently wealthy and that would make life all better? Like, what if that's the one thing that would also cause you to walk away from your faith in Jesus? You know, what, what would the actual consequence of what you want being in the driver's seat for your life versus what God might want? What, what if that's the thing that's driving your thoughts for the future? What if, what if you're stuck in the past over something that's happened? Even after you've taken the opportunity to address it and have had the opportunity to move on, what if that's the thing that's keeping you from experiencing God right now in the moment, in the present? See, in reality, being somewhere other than the present isn't going to be what helps us. Jesus gives us the tools and the encouragement that we need to deal with all of those things right now in our lives. And so we're going to check out what Paul has to say in Philippians chapter 4. And I think you'll see how this connects to this idea of being and living in the present. In Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 4, Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. In case you don't know, Paul is writing this letter to the church in Philippi from a prison cell. And we're not talking about like a comfortable one where you get three squares and air conditioning and a cot and a bathroom and all that kind of stuff. We're talking about ancient, like you're in a hole in the ground, prison cell. And this is his mentality. This is what he's writing in his present moment and situation. And this is what he knows to be true about his faith in God. Is that in, in that moment, even there in that situation, Paul is writing this liberating theology about how God relates to us in our lives in the present. And that in, no matter what situation we find ourselves, no matter what's happened in the pre past or may, may be coming in the future, that we can be glad because God is with us. When we're present with him, we can rejoice. And I get that being present can be kind of tough. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Renee and I were at this marriage event with Gary Chapman, who wrote The Five Love Languages. If you have not read that, and you're married, or you know somebody who is, or if you've ever thought about being married, or if you're in relationships to any degree, you need to read that book. All right? So you need to put it on your list. It's called The Five Love Languages. 
It's, you'll find it in whatever language you want to find it in. I mean, it's, it's great. It's fantastic. But he was uh, presenting uh, about the book, and he was talking about how couples kind of interact with each other. And you know how you can tell a married couple from someone who's dating or something like when you're at a restaurant? You do, do you know how to do this? You know, anybody? No? No guess. All right. Well, you just look at the couples who aren't talking to each other. Like, that's how you, that's how you know they're married. Or, or the other thing that you can do is look at the couples who are just staring at their phones together <laughs> while they're waiting. Like, that's, that's how you know, because you've gotten so used to each other, so familiar with each other, that you don't even, like, spend time being present with each other. So easy to be distracted from being in the moment, and yet that's precisely what gets us into trouble. We don't listen to each other. We don't hear what the other person has to say. We're not aware of what's going on with the other person. Sooner or later, you're not even sure if you like the person that you're with anymore. Bob Goff uh, says this. He says, we're good at being in close proximity to people. We're bad at being present. And when we do this with God, when we're not present with him, we're consumed by what's already happened or what's going to happen, we take our, all of our energy and attention away from what he's doing right now. The Lord is near, Paul writes. Don't be anxious about anything, but no matter what is going on, pray in the peace of God, which we don't even comprehend and yet can still experience because he will give it to us, protects us. The present peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds through Jesus. And Paul tells us exactly how to take time to experience this. He says in verses 8 and 9, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen to me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So I just want to encourage you, the next time that you're anxious about uh, the future or you're worried about something that happened in the past, ask yourself this, what is true? If you sit down with me, and, and I'm not saying this is a reason not to, but one of my go-to go questions in pastoral counseling is to ask you to consider what's actually true about what's going on in your life right now. Because so much of what paralyzes us in life are the things that we don't know that are true. And that gets all of our focus and all of our attention. But we need to ask, what is true about our lives right now in this moment? And as a Christian, your answers reflect what God says is true over and above everything else. And here's the, here's the crux of the matter for us and why we can live joyfully in the present. That as a disciple of Jesus, your past and my past, it's been redeemed. And your future and my future has been assured. That's it. That's the foundational truth that keeps us anchored in what God is doing in and through us right now. Not about what we don't know or what we wished had been different. And everything in your life should be guided and overshadowed by that truth. So then the things that become worthy of respect, that are pure, lovely, admirable, all the things that are excellent or praiseworthy through Christ are now the things that drive our attention and get our energy this side of heaven. The word think uh, in this, this phrase that Paul uses, think about such things, this is not some ethereal thing that he's talking about. The word that he's using is actually to be grounded in reality. So he's not saying, like, repeat some mantra to yourself to convince yourself that this is going to be okay. And he's not saying, you know, ideologically, you know, convince yourself of this. He's saying, no, take stock of what's really real and at work right now in your life. 
this is how he describes it earlier on in this letter. In Philippians chapter 3, he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know, the, and this is how, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The goal that we've been given is to live now the way that we expect to live with Jesus then. Here's what Paul writes next in verse 15. He says, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. These are the things that should get our energy as we live our lives, not the past, not the future. It's what we already know to be true because of our relationship with God. What we already know to be true because of what Jesus has done for us. There are so many different interesting things that happen in this movie, I think, that connect to this. One of of the things is that uh, Marty uh, goes back in time and he meets Doc the day that he comes up with the idea for the time machine. And so he lets them know, hey, man, you, like he encourages them, hey, you accomplished this. But it doesn't mean that Doc, over the next 30 years, doesn't put any more time and effort into doing this. Like, that's the whole time continuation thing. Uh, okay, we're going to get down the weeds here a little bit. But if he doesn't invent it, then, like, Marty never goes back. And then his parents, okay, all right, you, you guys got it. So uh, this is encouragement for him to still continue to press on, like that he knows that this is true. Around the half part point in the movie, Marty walks in on 1955 Doc Brown, watching and rewatching the moments leading up to his death. But when Marty wants to tell Doc, you know, what happens, Doc tells Marty that if he knows too much about his future, he can endanger his own existence. At the end of the movie, Doc Brown, he continues kind of this thinking. He says he doesn't want to accept the responsibility of knowing what happens to him in the future. And I'm, I'm kind of, I think, that, that not accepting that responsibility of knowing who we are in Christ, it kind of keeps us from doing the things that God has called us to do, to do and to be. The same thing happens to us when our minds aren't set on what we already know to be true. When our minds aren't guided by the scope of eternity, we miss out on the responsibility of being present and knowing ahead of time, exactly what happens, what God has called us to be and do. Put your faith into practice, Paul says, and the God of peace will be with you. Love God with everything. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. You were created for good works in Christ Jesus. You were created to serve. You were created to give generously. You were created to be an integral part of the body of Christ. You were created to be with God now. You were created to be at peace now. You were created to be glad now. Be present. Be in the moment by remembering what is true about who you are in Christ Jesus. That's my encouragement today for you guys this morning and for this week, is take some moments when you feel some anxiety welling up in you or you're concerned about what might happen next. Take a breath 
be reminded about what is true about God and about what he's done for you through Jesus. Let me pray. God, I appreciate um, the, inter- the entertainment story can bring, but I also appreciate the, uh, the important lessons that it points out in our life. And God, we ask that you give us time uh, this week to, to pay attention uh, to how your Holy Spirit may be speaking to us and guiding us uh, in the moments in our life. God, we ask you to remind us to take a breath and to be present with you. God, we ask you to uh, remind us in the moments that we need of what is true about who you are and how that changes our life. Praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.